Well, this morning, I have received a message that it's so cool how God does this to me, because I will be just doing my thing, and then all of a sudden, God will just give me the message of what it is supposed to be for Sunday. And I, I'm not one of those people who runs around saying, God told me, or I heard from God on this, but it, it's, that's just the way it works. It's like a download for me. And it was actually Friday morning. I was just getting home from work at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and I was just settling in and woke up at one point. It's like, okay, God, it's like, it's Friday, God. You realize I don't have a message yet. And I'm telling you just like that, he downloaded it and I had to set up and I had to write my notes and I had to get it all done. And then I tried to go back to sleep and I had some other things came to me and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get some sleep here eventually. But it all worked. And I just, I, I told Lenore, I said, I'm so excited for Sunday. I cannot wait because of the message. But if you'll turn your Bibles with me, we're going to look at a crazy story again and a, a different perspective. Even if you know the story, I bet it's going to be a different perspective than what you've ever seen before. If you'll turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. This is King David. Now, King David is probably one of the most renowned people in the entire Bible, if you think about it. Now, everybody knows Jesus or knows of Jesus. They know Jesus' name. But if you think about even the Star of David, which is the international um, symbol of Judaism, that you would look at and say, okay, well, if, if I see that symbol, I immediately know it's the Jewish symbol or Judaism. That's the Star of David. Everybody knows who David is. And he's this great landmark feature in all of history. This is David who's writing this. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, we all know that we're born into a sin nature. So what happens in us is going all the way back to Adam and Eve. You don't have to teach your kids how to dis disobey you or to rebel. They don't have to go to youth camp to figure out how to hate their mom and dad and think they're terrible. You don't have to send them to any of these things. But it was from us from the beginning. But look at this. In sin, my mother conceived me. We, Lenore and I were at a event for Christ for the Nations, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And Dr. Seif, who's a renowned, um, rabbi of, he's Hebrew and he's renowned in his revelations and everything. He was the guest speaker the night we were there. And he was talking about this and it really, really just, I, my mind was blown. I was sitting there going, Oh my gosh, how have I been a Christian all this time? I've never heard this. And he said that in the Jewish understanding, Everyone believes that David was not a legitimate son of Jesse. That he was the child, a product of a love relationship outside Jesse's marriage. Which is why when the prophet came and he said, Hey, Jesse, line up all of your sons. David wasn't even a thought. Because in David's, in, in, in Jesse's mind, David was outside of the inheritance. David was outside of what is acceptable. It's like that thing that, okay, that's something we don't talk about in the family. Yeah, he's kind of hanging around, but maybe, you know, I don't know, but he's just kind of out there. When he, the prophet asked him, hey, are you sure there's not more children? Jesse's like, mm, well, and then he's like, okay, well, go call David. And it's like, and then the spirit of God came by. This is the scripture that David's even referencing 
Dr. Seif is pointing to, and he said that this is where the scholars really get a lot of that, that his, David's own words that he was conceived in sin. Well, if it's a marital relationship, he's not conceived in sin. David became the number one feature in the Bible, second only to Jesus. And yet his beginning is questionable. Of course, going back thousands of years, there aren't documents that are going to really say that. And just like today, we don't really want to keep track of all that and say, well, you know, that's our family secret. Nobody knows what this or that or something else. But David was kind of rejected. And as, as I was thinking about this, as it just dropped inside of me, I thought about all the people in our spheres of influence that maybe they feel rejected. Maybe their start in life was a little rocky. Maybe their family wasn't the greatest. Maybe the way that they were brought up wasn't like other people's. That even in school or anywhere you go, you kind of feel like you're that left out person. That person who's just out there like, I guess it's for everybody else, but it's not for me. That's where David was. So much that his dad and his family has him outside the family walls, out in the field, sleeping with the animals. He's just out there. Can you imagine the little boy growing up just knowing he's rejected, doesn't really understanding why. But he's out there and he's just kind of hanging out and he's just like throwing stones. Take his little slingshot and just grabbing that thing going, can't you see him like setting the Coke cans up on the fence post and just like, this is his life. I mean, there's nothing for him. He has no inheritance. I mean, he's not fit in. All of his brothers don't like him. They're, you know, not receiving of him at all. So here he is. He's just out there just throwing it. But what he did when he was out there thinking that he was of no consequence when he thought it was just like every other day, and this is my life, I'll probably be a shepherd all of my life. I'll probably just live my entire life. There's nothing for me. His dad calls him and says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. We pick up the story here, and I'm going to narrate a lot of it. But we're going to see a couple of the different scriptures. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse Three, and you know the story of David and Goliath, and it's one of those things most people have heard, but let's look at it from a different twist this morning. The Philistines, verse 3, occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp, and he was six cubits and a span. Well, I don't know about you, but the last time I used a measuring tape, it did not measure in cubits. So I, I had to look this up, and it says, taking a cubit to be approximately 18 inches and a span to equal six, this figures he was a height of approximately nine feet and six inches. Now think about that. I wish I'd have thought ahead, and Michael and Jesse and I could have measured from here up to the speaker's but I think that is probably even higher, okay? So imagine this mammoth man here. And it goes on to talk about all the weight of everything he had on him and, you know, all the just different things and his, his javelin through and all this stuff. I mean, he's just this massive man. 
You may recall the story. He's out there, and they're trying to take over Israel, and Israel's there trying to hold their own, but they're scared. And he comes out, and he says, listen, somebody come up and fight me, and if I win, we're going to make you our servants. And if you win, we'll be your servants. Well, he can say that from a standpoint. He's nine feet, six inches tall. Okay. You know, I mean, imagine even a six foot person, there's still three more feet. Okay. You get a big, big football player comes out there. He's like, still, he's just like dwarfed in comparison. Verse 10, the Philistine came out and said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Wouldn't that be terrifying to you too? I mean, think about the, the risk that you're running there. Because if you're the guy that goes out there, I mean, even if it's Saul who was big, and they said that Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody else. He towered above everybody else. Well, he is still a pipsqueen compared to Goliath. So even if Saul went out there in all of his might... He loses. He's putting his entire nation now in captivity as slaves. Have you ever been in a situation that it looked impossible? That you were dismayed and terrified? God, there's no way out. Surely this thing is going to kill me. I can't make it. Verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening. And he made that same jeer. But did you hear his words? He says, I defy the armies of God. He's even calling on their relationship of their religion, of their relationship with God and saying, hey, I'm telling you, I'm defying all of you. Come on, bring it. Here we pick up in verse 17. Jesse tells his son David, go and see how your brothers are and bring back some news or assurance from them. Verse 19, for there was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. They weren't fighting. They were just sitting there petrified. David comes into the situation, and can't you see, you know, the little teenage boy just bopping along. He just doesn't have a care in the world, and, and he's just sitting there, and he's just like wiggling in about me. It's got the buzz of an, the army and the war and everything. He's like, hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? And then he hears the giant jeering. What is this? Who is that? And so then other people are talking, well, well, that's the the giant. And and whoever kills him, the king says they won't pay taxes or their entire family for the rest of their life. And he's even going to give his daughter. I mean, he's sweetened the deal up to this this whole thing. And there's just no, but no, no, there's nobody. He's like, well, what? You mean if somebody kills him, they get all these things and the king's daughter and you don't have to pay taxes. I mean, that's most people's motivation today. We'd be pretty happy about that, not to have to pay taxes for the rest of your life. And, And he's like, what, what, what? But then something rose up inside of him in verse 26. He goes, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? He's like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, stop the presses. Why are you even allowing this? Don't you realize who your God is? 
But isn't that just like us? That sometimes those things that are coming and they're dismaying us and they're terrifying us and we forget who our God is. Something rose up inside of David. And he started speaking out. His brothers even got mad at him. And I encourage you to go read the whole story because I'm not going to read through everything. I'm kind of narrating through it. But as, as his brother's like, what are you doing? Shut up. Don't you know you're not even legitimate? Get out of here. You just want the war feeling. You want to be all excited. You want the spot. Just go back to the field where you belong. Verse 31. But David was overheard and it was reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. See, that had been going on for 40 days. And can I tell you, day 41 was going to look like day 39, 38, 37. It's going to keep going until what happens? They're both up here, one on one hill, one on the other. He comes out and he defies them and they're over here shaking. What's going to happen? 40 days. So when you have just a little bit of faith from somebody rising up going, who is that guy anyway? Don't you know who our God is? Like, wait, wait, let me talk to him. Isn't that like us? That we can be in a, in a terrible situation and someone says something positive. Well, like, I need to spend more time with you because you're looking at this thing differently than I'm looking at it. <laughs> Verse 32, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And I love how he put himself low. We looked at that last week about making yourself low. He's like, your servant will go and take care of this. In the NLT, it says, don't worry about the Philistine. David told him, I'll go. Can I tell you that's what God's looking for? Still today, he's looking for somebody who says, I'm not going to worry Tell your people around you, all your friends, don't worry. I'll go to battle for you. I, I need some prayer. Can you pray for me? I had somebody text me last night and said, hey, I'm going through this situation right now. Anxiety is trying to overtake me. Can you please pray? And I'm like, absolutely, I'm praying right now. I'll go. Saul says, You're not able to go out against this Philistine, verse 33, and fight him. You're only a young man. Really? Because the entire army that you got out there is looking at it, they're rising up and people are volunteering. You can't go by what people see about you. They may come back and say, you're not able to do what that thing, you're, you're saying you'll go. You'll, you, how can you intercede for me? You got problems too. How can you pray for me? Because your life isn't that great either. You're only a young man. I mean, so here Saul is this ginormous man. He's still dwarf. He's like, man, you're even smaller. It's going to look like a little chihuahua going out to somebody. Okay. It's like, how in this is going to work? And this guy's been a warrior since his youth. Then David tells the story. Verse 34. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. See, that thing where he's just thrown out to the pasture, that thing where he's just out there and he's like got nothing to do, so he's got a slingshot going, ba-choo, like knocking the Coke cans off there, just like, hey, let me see if I can do it like this way, and let me do it under this way, and let me see how I can do it, because he's bored out of his mind. 
Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. Now, okay, that we just kind of say that, like rolls off our tongue because we've heard the story. But can you imagine you're out in the field? Okay, all your family is a long ways off. There's no cell phones. T-Mobile doesn't work out there. And you can't just go up there and go, hey, dad, brothers, can y'all send some help down here? He's out there. And he sees a lion or a bear and picks off one of the sheep, just picks them up and starts walking off with them. Verse 35. I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. How do you struck it? How do you strike it? Those rocks that he's been playing with, got that slingshot, just got it practice on, got knocked those things like, oh, there's a bear coming. That rock will work on that bear. There's a lion coming. It's going to work on that lion. What choice does he have? Hits it in the head, I want to suggest to you. And he goes up there with a stick, it says in the, another translation. And then I seize it by its head, and then I strike it again, and I kill it. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Think about it. A lion is moving. A bear's moving slower, but he's still moving. So he's got to use all of his skill to be able to use that slingshot that he's been practicing out there to hit that bear. But he's like, man, I can hit the bear when it's moving, and I can hit the lion when it's moving, enough to daze it that I can go up there and grab it by the head and take care of it. He goes, he's going to just be like them. His confidence is coming up and saw. He's like, I'm pretty good at this thing. Let me try. Because he's defiled the armies of the living God. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that David was doing this all in his strength. But can I tell you that when he's out there, when it seems like nothing else is going on for him, when he's rejected and he has no purpose in life, he's out there. Let's do that again. Go set them all up. Come over here. And he goes, this is no different. Can I tell you, in our lives, it's the same way. What we practice in secret, what we practice in our prayer closet, what we practice when nobody's looking, is the very thing that God will call upon in our lives to defeat those giants. Verse 37, he goes, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul said to David, the most amazing words, I think, almost in the Bible, go and the Lord be with you. He's telling him to go out there against this giant that everybody else is scared of, knowing that he's putting the fate of the nation in the hands of this little boy. He's like, God be with you. You see, David went out in a confidence. And the story goes on that he went to the brook and he picked out some rocks, 
this one in there. This one. Oh, yeah, this one's going to fly really good. Oh, yeah, this is like the one I used on the bear. That, oh, that's going to be great. He just walked right up, and you know the story. Can I tell you that David made a difference for the nation that day? He wasn't the king yet. He'd been anointed. He wasn't the king yet. But he made a difference. You know, fourth thing of our mission statement is to make a difference. That we all have a calling on God. From God. To make a difference. We're not just here to live a mundane life. You are created to make a difference. There's a song as I was going through this that rolled up from years ago. And the chorus says, I can make a difference if I try. Anybody remember that song? It was on the secular radio stations. Not that I listen to secular music that much, but that's one song I remember. So it must have been from the 80s or something. But I can make a difference if I try. You weren't created for the mundane. But many people like David think this is all there is. Just going to go to work. Punch my clock. Do my thing, punch out, go home. Tomorrow I'm going to repeat. One day, I'll die. No, you're created to make a difference. Can I tell you some things that are life-changing in you? Think about these for a second. Helping a life be born, like a, a first responder, or maybe you're with somebody, and all of a sudden that baby's coming, ready or not. It's like playing hide-and-go-seek. Okay, it's coming, and you get to be there and witness that. You'll never forget that day. When, when you're really, really old, you'll still think back to that day, and your smile will come to your face. You go, oh my gosh, that day. Oh, it was amazing. What about when there's someone who feels really alone and is contemplating suicide and you happen to be the one they're talking to and you have this opportunity to stop and just talk to them and their life has changed. Because you were there, it's different. What about CPR? You took the time to go and, and learn the CPR thing. You had the little dummy and you're like, you know, and how they change it all the time. You got to keep learning. Is it five times and breathe? Or is it 10 times or 12 times? And you got to keep remembering. You took that time and, and you think, I hope I never need it. And then you're sitting in a restaurant and you see somebody and, and you jump into action and you jump up there. And because you did the thing, you saved a life. You're going to go home from that going, oh, wow, I can't believe I, I can't believe, or, or how about the Heimlich remover? Everybody knows you put the little thing, you know, you just go, and, and someone's choking and no one's doing anything. And if something doesn't happen, they're going to die. And you jump in there and you're going to walk away and go, man, that, that's something. How about how they're going to look at you and think of you like, you saved my life. I, I, I was in the situation, I couldn't help myself and, and you were there. Maybe a car crash and you stop and you jump and you, hold, you help them. And you, or there's a house on fire and you're helping people out. All the different things. And I know these are extraordinary things because I'm trying to make a point. But you prepare ahead of time. You know what to do. You prepare. And so you're ready. But there's other things. You're just ready with what God has given you. But because you were there, what would have likely been disaster or the end of the road, turned out okay. Because of you. Not because you're great. Not because you're the greatest person in the world and look how wonderful I am. But because you were prepared for someone in crisis. 
Imagine if some bad things happen and you don't know what to do. Imagine being, being in those situations and, and you, you know something bad that happens to me like, man, if I only would have been there, if I could have only done something. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to WBAP on, as I'm driving it. And I'd heard the news story about a, a young girl who was on one of the bridges in Fort Worth and she had, was at the end of her rope. And, and I think she was like maybe 19, 20 years old or just something along. She's a young girl. And so she's out on the bridge and she's about to take her life. And somehow these two Fort Worth police officers got there and they responded and they were able to talk her down and they were able to get her help. Well, it's on the top of the hour news and the bottom of the hour news time. And they're talking about it and what a great thing, you know, and it's great. And these officers, you know, they're, you know, da, 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 and we're praising them. But then it goes back to the Rick Roberts show. And he goes, hold on, guys. He goes, I'm cutting everybody. I'm putting this guy to the front of the line. The guy comes on and goes, hey, my name is. Because that story of the girl was my daughter. Talk about making a news story come home. He goes, that was my daughter on that bridge. Had no idea she was in a terrible spot. Had no idea that she thought there was nothing else to do but take her life. He goes, but I'm so thankful for those two police officers. And he named their names. He goes, I called them on the phone. I just met with them today. He goes, but I had to call onto your radio station on your show. Because I want to publicly thank them. Because they changed our daughter's life. They changed our family's life. Yeah, sure, they were doing their job and they were right at the right place. But can I tell you, they'll never forget that day. That young girl will never forget that day. Thank God she's getting the help that she needs. That family will never forget that day. They made a difference because you were there. Where's there? Wherever you are. We're created to make a difference where we are. And it looks different for every single one of us. And can I tell you, it's messy. Making a difference is not all wonderful and glorious. I mean, when those guys are out there on that bridge, they don't know if she's going to take her life or if, or if not. And they're out there and it's messy. My daughter Jen was in a crash a while ago and we're at the emergency room getting her checked out and all of a sudden another trauma came through and, and you see they all left. I mean, they're like waiting on some reports on her and she was fine, thank God. But, but we're sitting in there and they're gowning up. They're putting all of this stuff on. They're putting the masks on. I mean, everybody, they're going out I'm like, dear Lord. They knew that it was got to get really messy. And it got loud and it was a hoopla, but they were making a difference. A week ago, I got an email from the Grow Network, which is Church of the Highlands, where they help churches grow. And we're part of that network. And they asked a question in the middle of that email that has changed my life and has brought everything front and center for me. And it's changed the central central focus of how I see myself and us as our church's success. It's a simple question. Would your community miss you if you were to disappear? 
What do you think about that? Would your community miss you if you were to disappear? It's easy to look at the number of people that are not here or the number of people who would say, I'm going to come and it doesn't work out. Or It'd be really easy to look at that and say, our level of success is X, Y, or Z. But really, this is where it comes down to. So what defines our church as we go into next week is our, our three years as a church and our two years being in an actual facility other than our living room. If we were to disappear, would our community miss us? And I got so happy because I thought, just like that, a reel of all the different people, all the different situations. And I thought about the situations that we are in, not just myself, not just my wife, all of us. If you were to disappear, how would that affect the people around you? How would it be different? Years ago, there was a song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. It talks about when you get to heaven and, and you're going to see people that you didn't even know you made an influence in their lives. They run up to you and say, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Last week, I got to spend time with Pastor Cadena in Florida. And we used to do the encounters together. And we're going to be doing that here coming up soon. And we would do a men's encounter weekend one week. And we'd do a women's the next. And we'd have about 120 in each one of them. And we did these for almost four years. That's a lot of people. And we would be walking down the street. We'd be in the mall. We'd be going in to eat at a restaurant. And people say, Pastor Kadena, Pastor Kevin, hey, my counter. Our, our thing in the, in the counter was so libre. And they're like, so libre. We're like, do you know who that person is? <laughs> I don't know who that is. There's so many people. But they're like, you were part of my life being changed. Your life can make a difference. See, Jesus said, what you do in private is going to show up in the public. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about us being the hands and the feet, that we're all a different part of the body and we're all a different part of it. Can I challenge you this morning? How will your life make a difference? What you do, what have you to do, what you do in those mundane times. When you're sitting in a field saying, I have nothing to do, so I'm just going to practice my slingshot. God, I, I don't know what to do in this situation, so I'm just going to pray. I'm going to take our prayer, God, and I'm, I'm going to just like dig into that, and I'm going to learn. I'm, I'm going to be at church. I'm, whatever it is, it's not mundane. It's not just something I'm doing. It's preparing you. Often when I pray, I think about all the people within a mile or two of me right now that are crying out, God, I'm desperate for you. Like that, that family that didn't know their daughter was in a terrible spot. They're looking for someone to make a difference in their lives. Will you bow your heads with no one looking around? 
Our four tenets as a church are to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. But it all begins with a personal relationship. You can never make a difference that you were created for until you know and surrender to the one you're created by. You can begin today. Or you can begin again today. I love the songs we sang this morning because they really represent freedom. The one who is there for us. And even when it doesn't look like what I think it should look like, He's there. If that's you this morning, you want to begin for the first time, or you want to come back to God, simply say this prayer with me. This is private. You don't have to say it out loud. We're not going to invite anybody up front. This is between you and God. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to. Today's my day to begin or to begin again. I invite you into my life and I ask you to forgive me. I come just as I am. I surrender it all to you. I choose to follow you in the best way I know how. I'm going to live for you with all of my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer. Whether they're in this room with me, whether they're watching online, part of our online campus, Lord, or people are listening to the podcast after the fact. God, I thank you that you are right there with them. That you reach out from heaven and you're just so excited to welcome them in. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing too bad. There's nothing too rejecting. Everyone else may have rejected us, but you don't. You took this rejected young boy named David, made him the king, still the number one king of Israel in the world. You accept us the same way. God, I give you this time. Lord, I pray for everyone that's in the disaster and the destruction that is Hurricane Florence. God, those people and those families who have lost lives and the ones who are in in serious situations and and lost everything, God, we pray for them, Lord. We stand together and asking you to just be there, comfort them, and Lord, help them get the resources they need. Lord, help us to make a difference. Help us to have that same standard that if I were to disappear, would there be a difference where I was? God, we give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.